Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden, and I am flying solo today. It is Friday afternoon before the Super Bowl kicks off, so keep in mind, no idea what the outcome is going to be. Uh, if, I, if I did, trust me, I'd be betting on it um, with our good friends from Bet Online. But I don't. Um, but I'm not a coward, and I don't run away from you all on Twitter. So uh, I'm going to give you my prediction. I, I think it's. I'm not going to give a score, but I think it's going to be Rams big. You know, I, I know a lot of people out there have uh, have been saying they think with their head it's going to be the Rams, but kind of with their heart, just with what Joe Burrow and and what uh, Jamar Chase have done. That they want to lean towards the Bengals, and trust me, I do too. I love Joe Burrow. I, I really, really like uh, this Bengals team, and I'm I'm rooting for Ricardo Allen. If the Bengals win, I'll be very happy for him. But everything that I've that I've seen, everything I've watched, um, I just think the Rams are a better team, and I think it's going to come down to uh, nothing more than that. And I would expect it to be, you know, maybe close at the end, but maybe not feel close throughout. Uh, so that is my prediction, but that's not why you guys are here today, uh, because frankly, you already know what happened. So you don't, you don't need to hear me talk about things in the past. Um, but it will give you a little context as to, you know, why this topic, because if the Rams lose eh, it, this may seem a little bit weird, uh, of a topic on a Monday morning, but what we're going to talk about today is some lessons that I really think that the Falcons can learn from the Rams roster building approach and how it's gotten them to, you know, two Super Bowls in the last five years, uh, something that the Falcons have said they want to build not only immediate success, uh, but sustained success. And the way that the Rams have gone about doing that is very, very unorthodox. Um, and so I'm going to get into all of that later in the podcast. It's going to be our main topic today. Um, but first, let's hear from our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we all continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. And even though it's a new year, remember that Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. And since it's a new year, Bet Online has a new updated desktop and mobile website, which you can use to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. So whatever your sport of choice, football, basketball, hockey, UFC, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers and get in on the action this year. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. So remember guys, BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, before we get into today's main topic, um, I just want to do a brief recap of some of the Falcons news of your last week, um, which would be Arthur Blank <laughs> making the rounds. And, you know, as usually is the case during Super Bowl week, I've been fortunate enough to be at one radio row. I would go back. I don't know if I would love it. Uh, it's it's kind of a circus and not in the best way. You know, yeah, you see some really awesome people that yeah, like you almost get starstruck. And you and the coolest part is you just can go up and interact with them. I saw Ron Rivera walking around, just walked up to him, asked him if I could talk to him for a little while. Uh, said, sure. I saw Dave Keckner, who some of you guys might uh, know from The Office as Todd Packer. Some of you guys might know from Anchorman as um, God, I'm blanking on his name right now. But uh, Champ Kind Sports. There you go. So, yeah, that, that was a weird starstruck moment. But you just see people like that. At Radio Row. Um, so that's where everybody is. Arthur Blank usually will uh, make the rounds. He did at least when it was here in Atlanta. But a lot of NFL owners do that because frankly, the world is all in one place um, as far as the NFL is concerned. So he touched on a number of key topics that I'm sure Falcons fans are interested in. Uh, the first of which, Calvin Ridley's future. Um, that's going to be obviously a big topic of discussion. It already has been, but it will continue to be between now and the time that it all gets sorted out because yeah, we saw what the Falcons offense, which say what you want about the team over the last few years, this has not been um, a team that has necessarily struggled to be explosive on offense. And 
they did that for most of uh, the 2021 season, largely because Calvin Ridley wasn't out there, or at least, you know, partially because he wasn't out there. And so Arthur Blank, of course, was asked about the status of, of Calvin Ridley and really just the future um, of this great young player with the team. And it, it seems like everything's still up in the air. And unfortunately, for reasons that I, I haven't fully dug into, but you know, the NFL has a lot of weird policies, guidelines, various lists, restrictions that players can be on. Arthur Blank said that the team was not able to contact Calvin Ridley directly, so they're working through his agents. Um, but he said, and quote, we love the young man. He has had a great history in Atlanta. We'd love him to stay in Atlanta, whether or not he wants to do that. He may decide that he wants a fresh start someplace else. We don't know that. I don't know that. I don't have information to indicate that, but we'll see how that plays out. So, you know, it's basically everything you would expect Arthur Blank to say at this point in time. Of course, the Falcons want Calvin Ridley to, to stay around, but ultimately, sometimes the thing in the best interest of the team may mean saying goodbye to an individual um, that, that you love. And that's kind of, I think, where they are right now. I, I hope that they're able to make it work out because I, you know, I think very highly of Calvin and I wish him the best every day. You know, he needs to focus on what's important. Um, and I hope he is. And I would love to see him back. The second topic and a player who I think we, we will see back would be Matt Ryan. But Arthur Blank did touch on the topic of a life without Matt Ryan. The, uh, you know, the face of this franchise since 2008, the, the greatest player um, in franchise history and somebody who Arthur Blank thinks extremely highly of. But he did say to AtlantaFalcons.com, you know, at some point there will be a sunset for him. Um, and I mean, yes, yes, of course <laughs> there will. That is factually accurate. There will be a sunset for all of us. But I think we all know kind of where Matt is in his career, but you can still, I think, win games with him. We saw him last year still succeed for the most part, despite arguably his worst group of skill players around him, maybe since like the 2013 season. Um, and so I, you know, I think that if they're able to build up the rest of the roster around Matt Ryan, they can probably squeeze a little bit of juice out of this lemon, uh, before it's time to, uh, to throw it in the garbage. And so finally the, uh, the last part and maybe the most pressing in terms of just where free agency is right around the corner, it's Cordero Patterson. Um, a lot of people have, have made it very public. They want him back. Cordero has made it very public. He wants to come back. Um, but I'm going to be very curious to watch this one because if there is a little bit of a bidding war and his, his market price rises, I'm going to be watching Terry Fontenot, the Falcons general manager, very closely to see, all right, do you overpay for somebody who has become a sentimental fan favorite in Atlanta, even though he's at a position that typically people will degrade quicker and he is on that wrong side of 30 with really only one year of production. Now that was in Atlanta and the Falcons figured out how to use him, but I don't know if I would want to give him a, 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 three-year deal, maybe a two-year deal that's a little more expensive. Given the Falcons cap situation, I'd rather use that money maybe elsewhere. Um, but, you know, again, Arthur Blank said he would, he would like to have uh, Cordero Patterson back, but what else do you expect him to say? Um, he did mention that Arthur Smith seemed to figure out a way to unlock him, and you want players like that that are good scheme fits in the building. Uh, so we'll wait and see. Arthur Blank, you know, not not much there, but at least you get the owner's thoughts on three of the pressing topics. So that's kind of it for our Falcons roundup. Not a bunch uh, of news out there, as there won't be for a little while until free agency really gets cooking. Really, the combine will be the next time that um, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot will probably be made available. That's typically how it goes. Um, but even then, it's it's going to be a lot of a lot of smoke, a lot of misdirection, and that's kind of the way it's going to be up until the draft. So let's get into maybe some actual lessons that the Falcons could employ over these next uh, few weeks and months as they continue to build out their roster. But before we do that, you guys know who's who's really paranoid? NFL teams. <laughs> they are they are so uptight and and rightfully so about their their data, the what stays in the locker room, um, the very secretive group of people and you know you may not be to that level but if you care about secrecy let me tell you about nordvpn because you may not know this but 
what you do on the internet can be tracked, can be traced. And NordVPN is, is here to give you a little bit of peace of mind while you are online because NordVPN is the world's best VPN service. It offers the fastest connectivity and the most servers for, you're not going to get bogged down on one server. They've got plenty of servers to reroute um, your service, get it as fast as you need it. And they've got next level uh, encryption, which is the most important thing to make sure that everything that you do online stays secure. You know, we're, we're looking at the Rams who are way ahead of the curve when it comes to innovation. I'll bet they've got next gen encryption on all of the stuff they do. Are you kidding me? Sean McVay is all about VPN. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe that's B-L-E-A-V to get up to 70% off. Holy crap, 70% off? Wow. Your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So it's all right. You know, you don't like it, throw a challenge flag. They'll give you your money back. That's how good NordVPN is. So guys, check it out and you're going to love it. So let me start our conversation today about the Rams, the analysis of how they've built the roster by just explaining for those of you who may not be familiar exactly kind of what makes their approach um, a little bit different. And one of the things that has been kind of the common, you know, I, I think belief around the league really since Seattle was able to do it in 2012, 2013 with Russell Wilson was if you can land a good young quarterback, if you can land a franchise quarterback on a rookie deal, the best way to win a championship is to maximize that cheap assets window and use the cap savings that you have from having a rookie quarterback and you're not paying the premier position a premier fee is to use all of that money to bolster your roster every single where else. And Seattle, you know, obviously won Super Bowls with that approach and it's, you know, really caught fire over the last decade, really. Therefore, a lot of teams value the draft. The Falcons were one of them. You know, Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov, co-team builders said they looked first and foremost at the draft as, you know, the way that they wanted to build their team. They wanted to, you know, keep guys in house, draft homegrown players, develop them and, you know, kind of build the core of their roster through the draft with guys like Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, um, Jake Matthews. They were hoping Vic Beasley would be somebody like that. But, you know, using these young players and then supplementing them with good talent around them, like Alex Mack, like a Mohamed Sanu, then when you have to pay your superstar players like Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, that makes the draft even more crucial because all of a sudden you've got money locked up in these massive stars and you don't have the money really to spend in free agency, even if you are, you know, getting cheap young contracts. But every team gets that because every team drafts. So you, you see how that model, once if you do hit in the draft, the penalty that you pay is, you know, usually later you got to eventually pay that price. And it may be steeper um, because a few years have passed. And that's just the way we've seen contracts go in the NFL. Um, but why are draft picks extremely coveted by NFL teams and fan base as well? First off, I mean, they represent hope and promise, and that's why we love sports, because this time of year, you can say, yeah, my team finished seven and 10, but here are X, Y, and Z reasons. Well, that's not going to happen next year, and we're going to the Super Bowl. Every fan base at some point wants to be able to talk themselves into, well, this next year could be our year, and the draft is one of the best ways to do that because it offers a new face coming into your organization. If you had a bad year the year before, you're drafting one of the very best players, and so it is a cyclical cycle of hope and usually let down for those teams that are drafting high because, as we'll get to in a minute, uh, the draft isn't always the best way to totally turn your franchise around. It, you know, you can see how an organization, a, uh, an owner, you want to sell the franchise, you want to sell the fan base with these young, marketable, awesome players. You know, they just want a Heisman. They just want a national championship, and now they're coming here to do the same thing. So hope and promise, big part of the draft and its appeal. I already mentioned the cheap controllable contracts. A lot of teams, you know, when you get into cap trouble, the best way is to really just start to bring in new life. And you do that through the draft is you say, okay, we know that this guy's going to hit free agency in a year. We think he's expendable. Let's maybe draft somebody at that position who's younger, who we can groom for a year and then see ya, this guy's taking over and we still have him as a rookie or on his rookie deal for three more seasons. And it's much more affordable and now we 
kind of hopefully aren't losing talent, but we have a succession plan in place that will save us money in the long term. So that's another benefit. It can also weirdly help with job security. You know, if you're a, a GM or a coach who maybe is on the hot seat, you go get a quarterback and then you can start saying, well, there's that hope. There's that promise. Give me another chance. Or you hit on a couple of late round picks. Maybe you save your job or you become known as a great drafter. And even if some of the free agency uh, additions that you get don't pan out, or maybe the team's not doing well, you can at least say, well, look, we have the talent in place. It's not me. So for a few different reasons, it can help with job security. But here's some of the issue with uh, building through the draft as like the key ph- philosophical approach. It's a crapshoot, guys. I mean, I, I, I've gone through it before for various other pieces, and I, I don't have the numbers right here uh, in front of me, but off the top of my head, I mean, it, it really is like a 50-50 success rate in the first round. Um, in some years, that number is way lower. You know, we think back to the uh, 2015 draft, that famous draft where I think none of the players taken in the first in the first round, maybe it was like the first 20 picks or something, got a second contract with uh, the team that drafted them. So it, it can go really bad. It can also go really good, like the 2011 draft, which gave us J.J. Watt and Julio Jones and, um, you know, all these amazing players who have panned out in the best possible way. Patrick Peterson in that 2011 draft, it can it can boom or bust. But that's not really the best way to uh, build a rock solid foundation for the long term success of your organization is on a boom or bust gamble. And that's really what the draft is for as much as everybody works so hard, pin down this meticulous science and, and make it as as knowable and develop a strategy. If a team had done that by now, we we would know it. And so it, it there's just no way to put a, a, a number on a human being, you know, because as soon as you do, that's the weird thing about human beings is we get in our own head about it. As soon as you say you're going to be the next superstar. Well, with that may come an inflated ego with that may come a depressed work ethic. They've been motivated all their life to get to this spot. And now they made it. What do they do? How do they handle that success? And so you just can't account for all of that. There's no way that's an art as much as it is a science. And so that's why it's always, always going to be a crapshoot. The Rams will get to this, but they've been wanting to put their eggs in, in some other baskets. The other thing is in a draft, it's an open market. It's a free for all. You're, you're constantly competing against 31 other teams with a limited time window. And you may think that the guy that you want, that's going to change your franchise is going to fall to you in two picks. Boom. A team trades right in front of you and snaps him up. Now you got to go to plan B, plan C, plan D. You may hate those plans. Really? You're not going to say that publicly, but it's just not a controllable environment. And the draft can really get chaotic at times. Um, and, and there's just a lot of variables when it comes to the draft. I mean, you could have an owner like Jerry Jones sitting over your shoulder saying, yeah, no, we did all this research on this guy, but ah, man, he looks really good in a Dallas uniform. So let's take him. Thank you, Jerry Jones, for stopping by. So there's a lot of egos in the room. Everybody's sitting there fighting for their guy. It can be really hard to kind of draw out that noise and make a clear cut decision when the bullets are flying, so to say. And then finally, it's, it's a group think nature where, like I said, we're going to spend the next three months really just kind of smoke screens, misdirection, all of that stuff. But consensus starts to form. People start to talk to one another around the league. You get scouts at the senior bowl. Say, hey, who do you like? Hey, what do you think about this guy? Blah, blah, blah. And then we all collectively start to build a big consensus on, you know, Penny Sewell is the next greatest generational offensive lineman. Yeah, well, Rashawn Slater was just as good. So, you know, kind of like, what are, what are we talking about here? Did Trevor Lawrence look like the second coming? No, he could be in the long term, but you get what I'm saying. All of the narratives that we start to build over the coming months, those impact teams as well. They're all human. They hear these things. They hear them more than anybody because it's their job. And so sometimes that can be really hard to parse what is real and what is noise. So the other part of this is you supplement your draft through free agency because theoretically, by saving that money with rookie contracts, you then have freed up cap space elsewhere to kind of pick and choose your spots to, to plug the holes that you need to around those draft picks who you expect to maybe be the backbone of your franchise for the next three to six years. Um, and so some of the benefits of, of really building through free agency is that you're able to address a need with a proven commodity, which is something Terry Fontenot said in his introductory press conference is that he believes in trying to fill your holes, fill your needs through free agency because you've got a one-to-one comparison of what that player is going to look like in the NFL. Now, things can change. You know, scheme 
plays a big part of it. You don't necessarily know if a player's skill set is going to entirely translate, but that's on the coaches. That's on the scouts. That is in your control to determine, do we think this guy is going to be the right fit? So already there's a little bit more of an assurance than a player coming out of college because yeah, it's not the exact same one-to-one, but it's as close as you're going to get and certainly much closer um, than, you know, a kid coming from the PAC 12 and then going to play in the uh, NFC West against Patrick Mahomes. Like, it's just a huge leap. And so that's why I think teams like to really get into free agency and, and try to fix their roster as much as they can through free agency. But there, there are a lot of downsides to that as well, because, you know, you, you can obviously way overpay for a player. It, it is once again, you're against 31 other teams. You could get in a bidding war. Now you could raise the price up on another team when maybe you have no intention and you just want to damage you know, another team's prospects for the future and just bid them up. Sure. But that could also happen to you. And then you're sitting here way overpaying for what you're going to get. It's just a, it's a harder way to live sustainably because you're, you're paying top dollar. You're paying for what you're getting, but you know, you're, you're paying much, much more to fill out your roster and the roster's too big for you to feasibly do that through free agency. And, you know, also, again, there's a limited, it's a supply and a demand thing. It may be a year where your biggest need, like this year for Atlanta, is pass rusher, is edge rusher. There could be like one or two, maybe, good pass rushers in free agency that year, because if you're that talented, teams don't usually let you hit free agency. Every once in a while, you find Alex Mack, who for some reason or another, Cleveland might get away, and you just know that this guy's going to slot in and be an all pro because he has been throughout his career. But most of the time it's Muhammad Sanu, a player looking for a new change of scenery. You're hoping that change of scenery maybe gives him the, the opportunity to improve as a player and, and produce better numbers. And it did from Muhammad Sanu who went from being kind of the number two over in Cincinnati to, you know, a better number two here in Atlanta. That's that's, but that's usually what you're getting is that type of player. And that's, not really a franchise changing type of guy. It's a good piece to have on a championship team. Doesn't turn your franchise around. Um, so that's kind of a real quick look at the positives and the negatives of really the, the traditional style of roster building in the NFL. So what have the Rams been doing? <laughs> because they're, they're kind of going on uh, a market correcting path here. They, they've really started to think outside of the box. And I, I love it, frankly, because I think because it is a competitive, you know, field by nature. I mean, it's sports, it's competition. It, I've always found it so fascinating that so many of the people think the same way. And they're all trying to almost play the same game. Not, not like football or baseball, but they're like trying to employ the same strategy as all of the other teams they're competing against. And they're just trying to do it better. They're trying to the, find these small little details or crevices to where they can gain a, a tiny little advantage. And I think the Rams have kind of just like crumpled up the old way of doing things and said, all right, like let's figure out a way that other teams aren't doing because therein lies the, the path to success, because you're not only competing against them on the field, you're now competing against them philosophically in the way that you just view the way that you want to construct the team that you're then going to put out on the field to uh, compete against them. So the Rams have, have pretty much said like we we don't care too much about early draft picks and we really have seen that since especially I mean it definitely started when Sean McVay got there they they weren't doing this uh with Jeff Fisher in fact the last time that the Rams actually had a first round pick was 2016 the last year that Jeff Fisher was their coach and they traded all the way up to number one overall and they sent their 2016 first round pick and their 2017 first round pick to select Jared Goff. So that was the, the last time, six years ago, was the last time that the Rams had a first round pick. They've been to two Super Bowls since. Crazy to think, right? But they just started trading first round picks to get players that they, that they thought were more valuable. In 2018, they traded their first round pick to New England to get Brandon Cooks. In 2019, he just traded out of the first round. He actually traded with Atlanta because the value he didn't feel like was going to be there. In 2020, they <laughs> traded both their 2020 and 2021 first 
for Jalen Ramsey, an all-pro corner. The value of an all-pro corner in today's NFL is crazy. And all it took for the Rams was two first-round picks. And guess what, guys? Those aren't very high first-round picks because the Rams pretty much in the playoffs year in and year out and in the Super Bowl for two of those years. These are end-of-first-round, low-20s picks that they're trading for guys like Jalen Ramsey, for guys like Matthew Stafford, who they acquired this offseason for Jared Goff, the guy that they traded two firsts for, and they sent two firsts to get Matthew Stafford. So these guys, the Rams are not messing around with, with their early picks, their first-round picks, and their second-round picks. Somebody who probably knows more about this than anybody actually working for the Rams is, uh, is Jordan Rodrigue, who works for the, uh, the Athletic and does amazing work. She used to cover the Carolina Panthers and, and now is out in L.A. covering the Rams. Um, but she was you know, recently on a, uh, the NFL Roadshow podcast with, with Lindsey Rhodes, and I'm just going to read you a quote of kind of the way that she explained why the Rams are approaching everything that they're doing pretty much the way that they are. Um, and, and it's something that I kind of touched on a little bit, but I thought it was a good segue into talking about the kind of the benefits and, and the negatives to maybe what the Rams are trying to do. But what Jordan said was, it's about turning what is often perceived as an inefficient pick or a total inefficiency in terms of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks and trying to turn them into efficiencies and advantages and leverage the math. It, it's how Sean McVay built his offense. It's how they're trying to re-energize this defense. It's how they operate in their personnel department, in their front office, turning perceived disadvantages into mathematical advantages. So we all view them parting ways with these early picks because the, as, as a disadvantage because the league has told us, well, like the, the way to turn your franchise around is to nail your first round pick and to get a franchise changing player. Well, how are you supposed to do that if you don't have a first round pick to begin with? The Rams don't care about any of that because as I said earlier, that first round pick has just as great a chance of panning out as it does of completely bombing and not even making to a second contract. And also that spectrum of panning out runs a very, very big spectrum of its own. You know, uh, even of let's say, let's say in a first round, first round, there's 32 picks, right? Let's say 16 of them. So half pan out. But realistically, there's probably like four on a good year, all pros and not even close to that on a, on a bad year or a normal year. On a normal year, it's probably like four pro bowlers in the first round. And, you know, the rest of those guys may be good starters. So that like that's just I would rather get Jalen Ramsey for two first round picks. And that's kind of what the Rams have discovered is that the teams continue to value these draft picks much higher than the Rams do. They also kind of know what the approximate value of these picks are because we have these draft trade charts that Jimmy Johnson, you know, kind of famously brought into vogue, um, you know, a long time ago, but everybody, everybody can kind of look at, all right, well, here's what the value of these picks are. We can package this, we can do this. So there's already a set price really for everybody else, even if that value isn't there for you. So even if Sean McVay may look at this and say, I would never trade what this team is trading for this, you know, 28th overall pick, but that's their problem. That's not mine. And that is where they're turning that inefficiency to their benefit and making it an advantage because they're able to get players that they believe at the NFL level are proven and will help them win a championship. And they know that because they've been able to watch it on tape. They've been able to talk to people in the NFL and see what this player, how this player operates at the highest level. And if they are playing at the highest level, like a Jalen Ramsey or like a Von Miller, who, spoiler alert, the Rams also traded for later this season. So they are, they're stockpiling brand name guys, but they're doing it in ways that are different than what we've seen other teams previously try to do. Because remember, I mentioned that free agency was usually the way that teams would try to acquire these really good players, right? Well, the two teams playing in this year's Super Bowl are, are almost represent like the very two different sides of the spectrum. And it's the Bengals are a great, um, comparison for exactly the point that I'm making here because GetUp tweeted or posted this graphic um, on one of their shows this week in the lead up to the Super Bowl. The last two off seasons, the Rams have signed 10 players in free agency 
which is last in the league. The Bengals have signed 32 players, which is fourth in the league. The Bengals obviously drafted Joe Burrow. They've got young players on the offense, but they're trying to build up the roster around him. Defense, offensive line, guys like that, they need that help quick, and they're going to free agency to do it. Meanwhile, the Rams are in a much better spot with kind of the, their roster in shape, but the, the issue, the, the downside really to this approach for the Rams is obviously it's a very expensive one because when you're trading for players, you're still bringing on their contract as though you were signing them to free agency. The only real issue or difference here is that you're not negotiating that contract with that player. You're absorbing whatever that player's contract already was. And then maybe you can negotiate it once they get in house. Like you figure that stuff out, but you're still bringing on a much more expensive commodity than a rookie contract, unless you're trading for a player on their rookie contract. But most teams aren't going to want to do that because they invested what they believe is something extremely valuable in that player. And they want to see it through and give that player every benefit of the doubt before, you know, make calling it quits on him. So the Rams really have hamstrung themselves and they've been, they've been having to let go of a lot of players. It's been more of an exodus of really good players for them. The last few off seasons, guys like Jared Goff, um, and they're even eating uh, a huge amount of dead uh, cap for him. But Dante Fowler, Todd Gurley, um, Josh Johnson last year, these players who Alec Ogletree, like these guys who are good, good players, you know, but the Rams were kind of almost forced to like the Saints, like the Falcons, you know, last year, they had to let go of some of these guys because of the cap situation they were putting themselves in. But I kind of think a lot of fans would would be fine with, uh, hey, you know, you're going to lose Alec Ogletree, but don't worry, you know, we'll, we'll get Von Miller. <laughs> That's even if he's a rental for one year. You know, we'll, we'll get Von Miller in here and they've got him in the Super Bowl. So it looks like it's uh, it's working out for them so far. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, the free agency part of it almost doesn't matter to the Rams so much because and, and I'll get to this point in a second. They're they're really kind of almost able to be much more strategic about the moves they're making through trades than they would be through free agency. And what I mean by that is I mentioned the draft, you're competing against 30, 31 other teams. Free agency, you're competing against maybe not 31 other teams, but you know 20 other teams. When you're operating and, and negotiating trades, you're, you're being the proactive one. Sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, teams are calling each other all the time. You may get a call from a, a buddy who's a GM and they say, hey, what, you know, we're looking at maybe moving this player. I thought he might be a good fit for you guys. What do you want? Um, that's my idea of a GM conversation. I've never been on the other end of one of those, but I've seen Moneyball. Um, and it's a much more closed circuit conversation. There's not necessarily the pressure of time. There's not necessarily the pressure of, of a bidding war. Now, sometimes a, a team could maybe try to drum up a bidding war and, and play one general manager off the other and raise a price. And I, you know, I believe that happened with Jalen Ramsey. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the team can decide in more of a closed door setting without a hectic kind of uh, a whole heck of a lot going on, I guess they can decide if that's the right move for them or not. It's a much lower pressure situation and they're able to be the initiator. In some cases, they're able to um, really make the deal work in their favor negotiate. There's much, much more flexibility in what you can do. I think negotiating a trade Versus just dealing with agents and free agency or, you know, maneuvering around a draft board on draft night. So I think that there is a big benefit in approaching it that way. Um, now, the other thing is, is that the Rams don't not care about the draft. In fact, since uh, 2017, the Rams have the second most draft picks through the third in the third through seventh rounds. So they've had 40 draft picks in rounds three through seven. Now. They haven't been amazing at hitting on those picks. There's actually a great piece um, on 538 that kind of breaks down, you know, is, this, is this draft or is this Rams uh, strategy kind of working? Um, and they, they took a, an interesting in-depth look at their success rate. Um, I, I think it was called uh, meaningful snaps over expect expectation. And so it was basically like any time when the game was in balance, how many of, of these, how many snaps did these players see and how did they perform those taken 
um, from rounds three through seven. And the Rams were just a little bit above average. So it's not as though they've found some secret code and, and that they know really you just want to turn your attention to rounds three through seven. But the way that Bill Belichick kind of made the last roster building, um, I would say, innovation was trading back, trading out of the first round, accumulating picks, taking a, a shotgun approach because he understood that there is inefficiency in the draft. And so the best way to uh, improve your success and the best way to improve your chances of having a successful draft is to literally <laughs> improve the number of cards that you have in your hand. Um, and so that was kind of then became in vogue and teams started trading back and, and you want and it's something we still talk about today, but the Rams kind of have found almost a backdoor way to do that. And it's through compensation picks. And when you let a player walk in free agency, like a Dante Fowler, if they're good enough, they're going to net you a compensatory pick in return, which is like almost free money. It's almost like getting a, a coupon just for say, Hey, like, thanks for letting me take this. Thanks for turning this into goodwill. I'm going to take it and I'm still going to have to, you know, give you something in return. Like that's what a compensatory pick is. And so the 40 picks that the Rams had in rounds three through seven, I mean, Cooper cup third round pick. So they're not hitting home runs with every single selection, but you're still able to find value there and build out your roster. It's just now that you're taking these first and second round picks and you're going to get proven stars there's a much lower risk factor with these third through seventh round picks because you don't necessarily need them to carry your team. You don't need to find a diamond in the rough. You've got a diamond in a diamond in the field and his name is Von Miller. <laughs> so like that, that's kind of what they've been trying to do. Um, and so I, you know, I think that Les Snead, the, the Rams general manager said it best in the New York times. Uh, the neat thing about doing it this way is that you're not guessing the players lived up to his draft status. You know, they, Matthew Stafford was a top five pick. Jalen Ramsey was a top five pick. The Rams didn't have to use any top five picks on those guys. They, they used low first round picks on those guys. And so that is, to go back to Jordan's point, you're turning an inefficiency into an efficiency. You're taking what a lot of people would consider lesser value. If you said, well, yeah, I'm going to trade the 28th pick for, for Jalen Ramsey, or I'm going to use, I'm going to wait for Jalen Ramsey to be at 28, and then I'm going to take him. People would say that's insane. He's going to go at five. Okay. Well, then why do the Jacksonville Jaguars turn right around and trade him? Because something wasn't working out, whatever, but that's the risk that they assumed investing much, much higher on this. And then the Rams kind of bought low and they ended up reaping the rewards. So that that's the approach that, that these guys are, are really trying to, to take. And then, you know, you get these players on a competitive team and a lot of times you're going to get the best version because they know you want them there. You were willing to give up an asset to get them. And a lot of times they may be leaving a situation uh, that was not as, as great as um, the one that they're entering. And, and that's kind of been the case, I think, with the Rams the last few years. They're creating a culture of almost like an NBA team where it's like guys want to come there and play because they're playing alongside Jalen Ramsey. They get to play with Andrew Whitworth. They get to play with Aaron Donald. They get to play with Von Miller. They get to play with Matthew Stafford, all these guys. And so, you know, that, that's kind of another interesting side effect, I think, to this. And yeah, a lot of these players may not be there for the long term, but once you get them in-house, even if it's for a season, that's a season of having awesome players, and then you kind of figure out the finances later because the thing with the salary cap is that it can be figured out. So let's turn the attention here at the end to the Atlanta Falcons because I really think that the Falcons have an opportunity to, to kind of kick ass <laughs> this approach and the reason I believe that is Terry Fontenot. Um, his background throughout his entire career has been pro personnel with the Saints. And the Saints did an amazing job, I think, once they hit that kind of post-2009 dip for a little while and the Falcons started, started kind of evening the score against them a little bit, uh, then they came roaring back. Obviously, they did have, ironically, a huge draft class in um, you know 2017 to kind of spark them. But... They also were able to supplement that draft class with not just free agents, but with really smart free agent finds. Um, you know, I think I always used Mario Davis as as an example, but it's because he's a really good example. He went from being like a really overlooked linebacker with the, the New York Jets and the AFC. And upon arriving in New Orleans, I mean, he's he's turned into an all pro player for for New Orleans um, in the middle of the, the field. So 
the the Saints were able to get him relatively cheaply. And I know that, you know, I'm mentioning free agency here, but I, I kind of think that you could translate the same things that make Terry Fontenot good at identifying pro-level players and just pivot your strategy to, okay, now how do we acquire them with draft capital? I say all of this with a grain of salt for the the near term because the Falcons aren't in a good enough spot financially with the cap space to really employ a strategy like this yet. I mentioned that the Rams are in a tough spot cap-wise right now. and I mean, they're in a brutal spot cap-wise, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't always this way. And the reason they were able to kind of start doing this is because they had a lot of cap space in, in 2018. You know, they kind of were able to free up some stuff, get to about 40 million before free agency, according to, to Spotrack. And, and they, you know, in 2019, they had 36 million. But the last two years, it's really kind of gotten tight for them because they're acquiring these great players. And now those contracts are coming due. Falcons are almost in on the backside of that original um, where the Rams are now with with guys like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, these big contracts, Jake Matthews, Grady Jarrett, what have you. So it, it may take a year or two for them to kind of clear the books. But that's where I would almost be interested in in seeing them take a, a different approach like this. And then once they are able to to balance these books, to get everything uh, a little bit more financially digestible for them, hopefully you're in a better spot where you're not able to, or you're not waiting on yeah, an eighth round or an eighth overall pick to come in and, and totally change your franchise because that just doesn't happen. If it happened all the time, we would see much more turnover in the playoff picture than we do year to year. The better way, I think, for Atlanta to get here faster, and certainly if they want to, you know, let's say it is in two years and they want to maximize Matt Ryan's window, go get proven commodities. And you won't have the money to get in bidding wars with teams in free agency, but I think they could have the money to identify some maybe underrated, undervalued players who aren't going to break the bank and inquire about their contracts. And even if they over have to overpay with draft capital, I think that's different than overpaying with money. Because as we've seen again, it the draft is really, really hard to win. And you have a great draft class of like three of your seven picks pan out. That's an awesome draft class. That's less than 50%. So I would rather take one of those lottery tickets and get something tangible for it. I think a lot about um, who wants to be a millionaire when it comes to this, because with the draft, it's, it's that notion of, yeah, but what if I get the next one right? And then the next one and the next one, and all of a sudden I'm walking in with a million dollars. How cool is that? But I think the Rams and the smart teams would say, oh, what am I at? I'm at, at $200,000. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll stop. I'm stop playing here. I'll just take your, the 200,000. Thank you. Like I know that is 200,000 in my pocket whatever, take taxes out, all that stuff. But they know what they're getting. And there's a chance that they keep going, they walk home with nothing. There's a chance if you trade all of this stuff up and move up and get your guy, that he gets hurt and his career never turns out. Or that he doesn't love football as much as he thought he did. Or that he's just not as good as your scouts expected him to be. That happens all the time. So it is all about balancing these inefficiencies finding value out of them. And I think that that is an awesome place for the Falcons to start because I think Arthur Smith and Dean Pease are both the types of coaches who can really maximize some, some lesser players. You know, I, I think that they don't rely on top tier stars to make their offense work, their defense work. And I think that that's kind of the same way the Rams are. Yes, they needed to go upgrade at quarterback, but you can slot in a Van Jefferson for a Brandon Cooks and not lose too much. You know, you, you can turn uh, you know, a, a Robert Woods into a really good number two receiver, kind of like the Falcons and Kyle Shanahan were able to do with Mohamed Sanu. I think Arthur Smith is that type of coach. So where are these inefficiencies? Where are these values to be had? And then can you use things that the other teams around the league maybe overvalue, which would be draft picks, to bump up the value of, of what you're able to get where you wouldn't be able to do that financially? Because as soon as you look at, say, if Jalen Ramsey is on the free agency market, there's no way I think the Falcons are going to be able to outbid a, a team like the New York Jets and, and go get them because you know, that's just how free agency often works. And then players get a little bit of a say in where they want to go. With the trade, 
yeah, the player may have some say if, if they're close enough with the team and a star like Von Miller, but A, it shows the team really wants them and values them. And, it, you know, it allows you to almost get the player on your terms. And then the great thing is, if you're not able to keep them around financially for the long term, you're probably getting a comp pick out of it anyway. And so you're, it's almost this recyclable thing where the more first round and second round picks that you get to acquire good NFL players that should down the road lead to more compensatory picks that come your way if you choose to let them go in the future. Um, and so that's how the Rams have gotten here. A lot of people have, have said that this is kind of an all-in approach and that it's not sustainable. I don't know. I mean, the Rams have not had a first-round pick since 2016. That's six years, and they've been in two Super Bowls. So I, I kind of just trust them to figure it out. And I think a lot of teams can, can just kind of figure it out. There's not as ever bleak a situation um, as, as you think there is, and it's never as good a situation as you think there is based on just looking at the salary cap numbers because that stuff is all imaginary and teams can create contracts in ways that they can totally get out of under out from under them, or they can move money around. I mean, salary cap stuff. It, yes, there are some parameters there, but you could be in cap hell one moment. And then if you, if you trust in your approach and you build your approach with almost backdoor escape hatches, which is what I don't think the Falcons did a very good job of like the last three, four years, which is kind of why we're in here. But if you know your approach from the jump, which the Rams clearly do, they clearly are all in on, we've got a model, we've got a system, everybody believes in it, and and we do things based on this approach, then you know what the pitfalls are a little bit. And you also now have your Atlanta team to look at and study and say, okay, what did they do that maybe they misstepped? And what could we learn from that if we're going to take this same approach? But I would love to see Atlanta you know, we all are sitting here talking about, man, Falcons got to really draft. They got to nail this draft. They got to bring in some free agents. Maybe there's an option C and, and maybe it is. Yeah. This upcoming draft, probably going to keep your draft picks. Could maybe even use a couple more. Um, just because that is the state of where the roster is, the talent level, and more importantly, the financial limitations with this organization right now. But next year, the year after that, depending on where they are financially, depending on where they are, not even from a talent standpoint, because again, the, the point of this is to go land proven players who, especially in year one, I mean, even a guy like Kyle Pitts, even the best players, there's always that caveat with a rookie of like, yeah, but it's his first year. There's going to be some growing pains, blah, blah, blah. You know who there aren't any growing pains with? Von Miller. <laughs> so that's not to say the Falcons are just going to go out and all of a sudden get Jalen Ramsey, get Von Miller. But there probably aren't 31 other teams trying every single day. And if nothing else, I think you shrink down the amount of teams you're competing against if you are making this approach of we're going to try to acquire players to better our team by taking these lottery tickets that everybody loves and we're going to use one of them to go get this guy because we value this guy, the other team values this lottery ticket. And that I think is a trade that the Falcons right now, they don't need necessarily lottery tickets. They need to get better. They need to improve their roster all throughout. And I would love to take some proven commodities and, uh, and go make that happen. So that's it. Um, that's, that's what I got for you guys. My voice has probably gotten a lot hoarser over the course of, you know, like 50 straight minutes of, of nonstop talking. But if you're still listening, I really appreciate it. I hope all of that made sense. It's kind of hard to make an argument for 45 straight minutes. Um, so I'm sure I'll listen back and, and hate this myself, but I really appreciate everybody. Um, hanging around. Let me take one quick second for one more word from a sponsor. Want to make some money? How about you invest in an exciting asset that's outpaced the S&P 500 by 164%? And I'm not talking about Joe Burrow stock, guys. I'm talking about art. Masterworks is the new investing app that lets you invest in blue chip paintings, blue chip guys, five stars, blue chip paintings from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol, or, you know, as I like to call them, Pablo, Claude, and Andy. You know, what's up? Without needing millions, over 300,000 people have already signed up. Get priority access with our unique promo and log on to masterworks.art slash believe. That's masterworks.art slash believe, which is B-L-E-A-V if you need the reminder. 
Please see important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclosures. And guys, invest in the Masterworks. All right, guys, that will do it um, for today. A little bit of housekeeping notes. Uh, no Ovi this week. Obviously, I think the plan is going to be for him to be on two podcasts a month. And then the other two will either be kind of something like today where I maybe take a topic that's relevant in, in the world and try to twist it in some way to uh, fit the Falcons or like we've been doing, get a guest on. Uh, obviously, it's Super Bowl week. Radio Row is... A little bit, uh, a little bit crazy. A lot of people are out there. It's the center of the media world, the NFL world. So, not a lot of uh, options on the table for somebody to hop on a small but growing, but growing podcast. Um, speaking of growing, please tell everybody where they can find our podcast. Pretty much wherever they listen to podcasts, and please rate, review, like, and subscribe. A reminder that today's podcast was presented by Bet Online. All right, guys, the football season, unfortunately, is over. I know I still got the Super Bowl to look forward to, but you guys already know what happens. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. But it sucks, guys. Football season's over. Free agency's around the corner. Draft right after that. Um, And then the long, the long wait until football's back in our lives. But hopefully it brings a better future for the Falcons. Um, And we will be with you every single step of the way. We may take uh, one or two week break off. Um, we'll always let you know ahead of time. In fact, there's not another one next Monday. Then that's where I'll be is, is taking a break off because there's no use talking about nothing. If, if nothing's happening in the sports world, um, that being said, we're going to try to bring you some consistent content throughout the off season because, you know, we know you guys want to hear about Falcons news and our job is to help bring it to you. So thank you guys again. Really appreciate it. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.